0: Hi, welcome to Renton Christian Center's Recorded Ministries. As members of the Body of Christ, we offer love and encouragement to everyone. As Pastor Alex leads us through God's Word, we hope you will be lifted and filled with joy as we open our hearts and minds to the love of Jesus and the hope He gives us all.
1: Well, this morning I want to just bring a an encouraging word to you who are fathers and you who have a father. Should cover just about everybody, living or not, some of our dads have passed away, but Father's Day is, is a great time to just be reminded of the, the heart of God because he is the ultimate father. And uh, it's also good to figure out uh, what does the Bible say about how to continuously honor those men in our lives, those earthly men, and also how to continuously honor Father God. Uh, so I want to start with that verse in, it's in Proverbs chapter 23, verse 24, where in the book of Proverbs, kind of searching for wisdom. And uh, not kind of, we're desperately searching for wisdom. We live in a, in a world that, gosh, I think it's gone nuts at times. Absolutely mind-boggling the things people are saying and believing nowadays. And so there's nothing like having an anchor written by the hand of God through humans that never changes. It's like God's point of view, the smarts of the almighty on paper there's nothing like that i want to encourage you if you don't read proverbs on a regular basis it'd be a good time to start whether you do a chapter a day a verse a day every month just kind of go through that book and stay refreshed in the things that god says here's what works here's what doesn't work this will break you this will make you whole all right stay in that book this verse is an awesome one chapter um This verse, I should say, is a a great one. Verse 24 of chapter 23. Let's read it out loud together. Are you ready? Look up here. It says, The father of a righteous child has great joy. A man who fathers a wise son rejoices in him. So those are the two concepts this morning. For Father's Day, we want to talk about what blesses your dad. Whether living or not, how can you bring joy to his heart. Obviously, if he's not with us physically, there's still a memory of him that you have and everyone who knows him. And so, you and I can continuously ask the question, what what blesses, pleases, makes him happy? And the second one is those of us who are fathers. In this case, the word father is a verb. A man who fathers a wise son, who parents who who kind of brings guidance and shapes and molds a child. And, of course, it applies to both sons and daughters, not just the boys among us. What is it that a father needs to do to produce that kind of wise, godly, useful, productive citizen, not only for the kingdom of God, but for planet Earth as well? So let's start with the first first one, a righteous child. What is it that that causes a person to be called, quote, righteous? Righteous. Well, you can you can start with human fathers and try to define righteous by what makes my dad happy, what turns his crank, what does he look for. The problem is all of our dads have different standards, don't they? And, and some of their standards are awesome, some of them are eh, not so awesome. And so using our human fathers to say, wow, this is the way I can become a righteous person, that's it's a little dicey. It's iffy. It's possible if you've got a great dad, and many of you do, um, you live by what he teaches and trains you, you're going to do just fine because he too is living under God's plan. But for those of us who don't have that that model, that, that opportunity to, to grow from a godly human father, we have to recognize that God is the ultimate father. And, and I, I'm pretty sure if you and I can please Father God, we'll probably make our earthly dads happy too. What do you think? Possible? I mean, you might have a dad who's kind of anti-God. They exist out there. But even those folks are going to go, wow, you're becoming kind, you're responsible, you're hardworking, you have integrity, you, you are thoughtful, you're generous. I mean, no human father is going to think, That's a bad idea. So I just want to say to start off, if we recognize God as my ultimate Father, I'm going to work on pleasing Him. And I can pretty much guarantee our earthly fathers are going to be brought great, great joy. So with that in mind, let's take a look at this word righteous because it's kind of a tricky word. I'm not wild about Bible words that get skewed and misconstrued and poorly defined and righteous is one of those words. It's kind of a religious, you know, historical term that it's used, it's been used for centuries. But what does it mean to be righteous? And for many people, the picture is, oh, I've got to have this solemn, kind of ceremonious, sort of rigid, kind of stay trapped in this, you know, churchy sort of environment and not make any waves, definition of righteous. And it can be very confining and almost smothering if that's the point of view that you take. So I did a little research and, and checked out the, the Hebrew origin. The word sadic or sadic, sadic, it simply means behaving justly toward other people. That's part of the definition. Righteous doesn't have to do with like being perfect and holy, although it's good to be perfect and holy. But part of that definition simply means acting with justice toward other people, like being thoughtful and, and fair and um, not always putting yourself first, but putting others first. That's just treatment of other people. What do they deserve? What would God give this person if he were here? So it really has a lot of relational definition to it. It's, it's really a walking in love. And the other half is lawful living. Yeah, there's a right living component to him, but it's it's right according to the principles, the overarching ways that God designed the universe the way God designed you. Like, I need to understand how he thinks. I need to understand what moves him. I need to understand uh, what brings joy to his heart. Those are all principles that are much more, I don't know, colorful and creative and inspiring than some rigid list of do's and don'ts. Am I making sense? So let's kind of broaden our definition of righteous. What makes God happy is when I live broadly under the principles with a lot of creativity, a lot of joy, a lot of energy, and understand that when I do that, it brings him great satisfaction as well. One of the things that uh, I remember as a brand new Christian was when I When I became a Christian, I really understood, okay, I came from a pretty, you know, rotten lifestyle. I was really, really living against God, an unrighteous life. And so my remedial understanding, kind of as a primary student in Christianity, kind of a kindergartner, I thought, okay, the thing to do to make God happy is the opposite of all those. Don't smoke, don't chew, don't go with the girls who do. You know, just to stop all the bad behavior... And it was all focused on the don'ts. Don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that. But you know, eventually, if you keep doing the don'ts, there's nothing left. It's just a vacuum. All I've got is a bunch of emptiness. And I began to understand, no, the Father's heart, what pleases Him is when I really engage in the do's, the things that really allow me to participate with his activity, his action, his love, again, his energy, his kindness, his serving of other people, engaging in learning and and forming my mind and my thinking in the ways he thinks, in the ways he sees. That's a very proactive Christianity versus this kind of kindergartner, let's just stay away from all the bad stuff. So if you want to make God happy, just engage. Engage in your Christianity. Engage in what the Bible says. Try stuff out with other people. See what happens. That's what brings your father joy. I know as a dad, one of the things that really thrills me is to see my three girls becoming productive. Productivity. They're they're very proactive. They're very engaged. They're very much about building and adding to other people's lives. That thrills me no end. One of the most frustrating seasons was, and we've all had them, when they were young teenagers, they didn't want to do anything. Except, you know, go to school, hang out with their friends and drive cars, listen to music and all, and just never clean their room, you know, never eat the right food, nothing. It was just all, just a, you know, it's a teenager's life. And what was crazy, is not that they were bad, none of them were bad, but I was going, do something with your life. And thankfully, isn't that right, Claire? Yeah. You never had that problem, though. <laughs> we were like that. It's all about me. Um. What was so thrilling was that the things that Pam and I exemplified and taught throughout all those years was actually going in. It just wasn't manifesting yet. And so if you have teenagers, it's okay if it takes them till 21, 25, 29 before you start seeing the fruit of your labor. I'm serious. That's normal. It shouldn't be surprising. It really is okay. If you're training, teaching, and exemplifying, it will go in. And what you're doing to make your father happy, suddenly it's going to transfer them and they're going to make you happy. Okay? All right, second part of that. Oh, actually, there's a great verse here. Jesus just wanted to remind us of what what really makes the father happy in heaven. Which of you, he asked, if your son asks for bread, which of you are going to give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, who's going to give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, not that we're all wicked people, but relatively speaking to God's perfection, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in Heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? It's His nature to bless and to care, and it makes Him excited and blessed and joyful when we engage in the things that He gives to us. All right, that was the word to the children. Now, the writer of Proverbs gives us a word to the fathers. Raise wise children take that seriously and and understand that in terms of shaping their lives you men in particular are the image of god as best as they know when they're young they don't have a spiritual view of father god yet even as they get older men fathers you're still playing that role the one with the deeper voice the stronger body Probably the worst temper sometimes. I mean, all those things that kind of exemplify that strong masculine leadership in a child's life. But what God is after, more than anything else in your children, is wisdom for them. It's a wise, he who fathers a wise child brings great joy to their fathers. So this word, again, is a verb. This is not fathers, the noun, like plural men, but He who fathers, like, you know, gives birth to. The word yalad means to bear, to bring forth, even to tend as a midwife. If some of you ladies have had a midwife for your children's birth, you know that midwife isn't a a doctor as in a... um, What do you call a doctor? I'm trying to think of the. OBGYN. Yeah, OBGYN. Exactly. Thank you. Yeah, but they are skilled, plenty skilled enough to help you give birth to your children. But midwives, what's so cool is a lot of midwives nowadays are beginning at conception to walk with moms-to-be for the whole nine months, and they they begin to build a relationship. And then after the birth has taken place, and they're often in relationship afterwards, and it's this long-term kind of helping the mom and the child to sort of shape their new relationship, shape this new life. That's the word Proverbs uses here. He who fathers kind of gestates and helps shape and mold and create and then even afterwards continues to train for years and years and years and years and years. He who fathers in that long-term commitment of love and care and shaping will receive great joy. So, man, I just want to put it real simply. Shaping our children until their own wisdom emerges strongly enough where they can independently please God then your job's done well let's see some of our sons are like 48 years old and we're still working on it right fathers never stop being fathers obviously the amount of work it takes is reduced over time hopefully but ultimately, we have to understand that, that shaping and bringing wisdom to our children is a lifelong commitment. It's not an easy commitment to make, though, especially in our culture. As I mentioned a little bit earlier, our culture is going nuts. And one of the things that, that is really becoming challenging for parents has been for a long time, I'm sure, but it's just harder and harder and harder nowadays. When you think about our current culture and what passes for wisdom nowadays... Give you an example. You probably heard the news story about this um, Galen Spokane, who wrote down on a particular application that she was black, but in actuality she's blonde hair, fair skin, Caucasian all the way. Her parents are both Caucasian all the way, but she just really likes the black culture. Nothing wrong with that. But she called herself not Caucasian but African American. Heard the story? Um, What's troubling about that is that when interviewed, she gave the reasoning as, look, being human is what matters. And we get to, listen to this term, we get to self-identify. We all get to self-identify. Now, here's the transition that's taken place. Talk about the wisdom of God versus the wisdom of the world. The transition that's taken place is that If we as humans begin to think I can self-identify, what I'm saying is I am the final authority as to what and who and how I am. There is no outside source. There's no absolute truth. There's no objective reference point that kind of points and says, no, you're one of these. No, I get to define myself. Can you see where this will go if not taken care of in our lives? I want to be a rock. I am a rock. I want to be a cat. I am a cat. I saw this grotesque picture of a gentleman who had this facial re-sculpturing with whiskers implanted to look like a lion. And he looked scarily like a lion. And he could not, he was shocked and sad that people wouldn't accept him. I want to just be this kind of person. Okay, those are those are extreme and gross examples, and of course with the whole gay agenda you have a whole I get to identify myself as if my DNA and my physical features and my God-created being doesn't have anything to do with it. Here's my point. The minute Americans throw God out of the picture, there is no reference point. Everybody gets to do what's right in their own eyes. They get to believe what they want, think what they want, and all is equally valuable the wisdom of the world says that's the way to go Dads, that's a tough opponent when our students and our children are getting this kind of input in school on every youtube video or internet program or television show i mean they're just getting bombarded with the there is no god we all get to choose for ourselves that's the wisdom of the world and like this gallant spoke in, Spokane, she's shocked that people are so, what? How can you be against me? So the writer of Proverbs is saying, Dad, you've got to gestate the thinking of your children. You've got to fashion and form and mold them after they're born and while they're growing up. You've got to be the one that speaks the truth with great kindness patience and gentleness but with firmness wisdom does not come through osmosis it doesn't come just through prayer the wisdom in our children comes when we tell the truth unrelentingly with great patience great kindness great tenderness but unrelentingly and without fear The passage in, in Romans 1.18 is pretty famous for making this very statement, but it, it really describes our culture right now. It says, although they, those who refuse to believe there is a God, although they know him as, and they know, a, they know inside of them that there is a creator. There's a, there's a mystery to life, there's some reason that all of this just happened to come about. For though they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. So that's where we're at. If you say, oh, no, you know, God says for humans, the way he designed us, this is the single best way to live, and, and this is really harmful. This brings you freedom. This brings you prison. If you talk like that to a lot of people today, they'll say, no, you're the fool, we're the wise ones. In fact, we're normal, you guys are the wackos. That's a hard opponent to push back on. Why? Because you become ostracized, you become outcast, you become ridiculed, and dads, you know, we're vulnerable to those things as well, but we've got to stand firm and say, I'm going to father my children in the fear of the Lord. That's the beginning of wisdom. I'm going to start with God. I'm going to speak the truth fearlessly, unrelentingly, but with great patience, great kindness, and great tenderness. Know the truth, know God's opinion, and fearlessly repeat it over and over and over again. I want to raise a generation of, of kids who are willing to go, you know what, you can call me whatever you want, but I'm standing my ground. I believe the Bible, and yeah, yeah. Yeah, call me whatever you want, I really don't care. I am really, really content with what this has produced in my life. I hope you think about it yourself. That's all I wanna do. You know, the wisdom of, of God often can be confused with brain smarts. And uh, that's, a, that's a mistake, it's important to be brain smart. I'm really committed to education, really committed to learning. Jesus said the greatest evidence that the wisdom of God is alive in us is what? It's love. If you know how to love, that's gonna include speaking when it's time, forgiving when it's time, serving when it's time, pulling back when it's time, just loving the way Jesus loves. And one of the things I love about Lindsay Dietrichs is she has learned to walk in the wisdom of God because she's chosen to lay down her life for the folks that live in Nepal. A very, very destitute, impoverished nation recently destroyed in a lot of ways by that earthquake. And so I asked her to just come and tell some stories about what what God's been doing through her, and it's really it's just an exemplification of, of his love working through a person just like you and I. Lindsay Dietrichs, come on up here.
0: Thanks, Pastor Alex. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Lindsay Dietrichs, and I'm Cindy and Tony's so now they can wave. That's, that's it. They, they have fathered me well. Um, and I moved to Nepal last September with Youth with a Mission, YWAM. And so in moving, I felt like the first year in Nepal was really meant to be focused on language learning, worship and prayer, and building relationships with Nepalese. And so for myself, I feel like my main mandate is that of a missionary to tell people about Jesus and disciple them. And I have the privilege of living with a handful of young Nepali girls in a guest house run by another missionary friend. And this has been a great help to my language learning and provides me with so many opportunities to share about Jesus and to disciple them. And I know many of you have heard about the earthquakes, so I'll, I'll get to those stories at the end. But first, I wanted to just share a few of my favorite testimonies that I've experienced so far since my time in Nepal. So um, the first one is about a girl named Monita. And she came to work for us as a cook at the guest house last fall. And her family is completely Hindu. She had never been exposed to Christianity. And over the course of about six months, I got to share and show Jesus to her in so many ways, whether it was by her hospital bed or on walks to town, in the kitchen while she was cooking, or just hanging out in my room in the evening. And it was so fun to watch her heart soften towards Jesus over those few months, and her life began to change. Um, After about a month, she stopped wearing tike, which is the red stuff that they put on their foreheads when they visit the temple, and she started going to worship with us. And then after another few months, she stopped going to the witch doctor and started participating in Bible study, and very soon she became the most enthusiastic person in our household to go to church. And I remember watching her one night at one of our weekly worship gatherings, and she was just soaking in the presence of God with her eyes closed, hands lifted, and she was clearly being encountered by Jesus, and I just was like, I was getting wrecked, because I was like, here, this girl a few months ago, she didn't even know this God, and now she's worshiping him, and I love it. Sometimes she'll be walking around the guest house, and she'll be singing How Great Is Our God in Nepali, and I can, like, hear her humming along as she's cleaning, and I'm like, oh, that's so wild. She didn't even know God existed, and... Um, like many Nepali, she doesn't have a lot of education, so I had to get creative about communicating biblical principles and Jesus' pursuit of her. So I use lots of illustrations and images and storytelling. It's always amusing. And um, she was beginning to act more like a Christian, but she hadn't actually committed her life to Jesus. And finally, a couple weeks before the earthquake, at the end of one of our Bible studies, when we each take time to say what we're going to apply the next week from Bible study, she, she declared, I don't want to be angry anymore. This was something we talked about multiple times. And I told her, oh, you don't have to do it alone, that Jesus wanted to help her. And I asked her if she was ready to give her life to Jesus. And she said yes. And I, I almost started crying as she was praying because I'm like, I know how many hours of loving her and discipling her and sharing with her had gone into that moment and that she didn't make the decision lightly and really understood what it meant to repent of her sins and to follow Jesus. And it was just so rewarding, I was thinking about afterwards, like, so that this isn't a conversion taking place, this is a lifelong disciple being made, that each and every day I get to wake up with her again, and we get to just keep learning and growing together and becoming more like Jesus, so that was really exciting. And another one of my favorite testimonies is of a girl that I'll call Asa, and uh, a couple months back, um, another young woman came to live with us, and she had been working in a brothel and was eight months pregnant. And HIV positive so her pimp didn't want her anymore so her pimp was actually a woman gave her to us and um, shortly after she arrived we took her to the hospital for her first checkup even though she was eight months pregnant and but first we gathered around her and wanted to pray for her healing from HIV that it would disappear from her body and so we took her to the hospital she got tested and when the test came back she she was negative HIV negative And, um, yeah, praise Jesus. (laughs) And I really like to be, like, very careful about testimonies I share because I really want it to be real. So she had been tested positive three times for HIV before she came to us. So we had her tested three more times after that, and every single time it came back negative. So I was like, okay, she's really healed. Praise Jesus. (laughs) Um, And like I said, I've been taking language classes since I moved to Nepal. And I found, find a way to share with my tutor, in just about every, every lesson, I find a way to bring it up, about Jesus. He's not a Christian, he's Hindu. And in one of our recent conversations, I asked him why he questions Christianity so much, but Hinduism so little. And he said it's because Christianity is a new religion to him. In this case, I was surprised by this, because I know he's been working with Christians for years. And he proceeded to tell me that in the eight years that he's been tutoring Christian workers, I'm the first one who's ever told him about Jesus. <laughs> and I was like, my jaw literally dropped. I was like, what all the rest of these people talk about? <laughs> I said that. And <laughs> he replied, they tell me what Christians do. They talk about going to church, going to prayer, or going to worship. But you're the first person to actually tell me about Jesus. And my heart was grieved, because I thought, how many of these genuine believers were waiting for the right moment, or waiting for him to ask? instead of making it the right moment and initiating the conversation and just in that moment reminded and reconvicted of what it says in Second Corinthians 6.2. It says, Indeed, the right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. And I'm no super Christian. I'm definitely not perfect. Sometimes I say too little. Sometimes I say too much. Um, but I just believe what it says in Romans 10.14, that how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? How can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear unless someone tells them? So I asked my tutor if it makes him feel uncomfortable when I talk about Jesus, and he said no because he knows it comes from my heart. And I was so touched because he put into words what I hadn't even been able to articulate myself, which is, I don't tell people about Jesus because I have the spiritual gift of evangelism or because it's my job. I simply tell them because I love them. Um... So lastly, about the earthquake, Uh, for those who haven't heard, back at the end of April we had a 7.9 earthquake followed by countless aftershocks and then another big earthquake two weeks later and more aftershocks and the numbers are a little hard to confirm but current estimates are that over 8,800 people died and 23,000 were injured which was pretty crazy because most of them are in high villages and they can only be reached normally by foot and in this case they were trying to get helicopters up there. Um, and on the sun, it was actually happened on a Saturday, which is the day everyone goes to church in Nepal. And so I was on the third floor of a building at church when the earthquake happened. And b- right before it happened, our pastor was reading from First Corinthians three ten fourteen, and I'll paraphrase it. But pretty much it talks about how like because of God's grace to me, I've laid the foundation like an expert builder. And pretty much the foundation has to be laid on Jesus Christ and nothing else. And if it is on something else, the fire will burn away everything else. So he's reading this verse about the foundations, and all of a sudden the whole building is like swaying. And um, then there was a lot of screaming and moving, and you know. But I was like, talk about an illustration to your message. (laughs) Like, couldn't have planned that better. (laughs) He's reading this, and the ground starts shaking. So once things calmed down, though, we met with other local pastors and missionaries to decide how to act. And our first move was to create these family packs with basic supplies, such as food and water and soap blankets. That kind of thing. And we created about 65 family packs and we took them up to two villages. When the crew arrived, they separated them in half and put one and half away in storage, and then the other half they distributed at that time. And when they did, they passed out over 90 family packs. If, if you caught that, there was only 65 at the beginning. And they were separated in half, and then there was suddenly 90. <laughs> So God multiplied all the things that people had given, and so we were able to give away even more. And so my friends are continuing to do relief work and rebuilding and just praying for strategy on how to reconstruct things so that they're better than they were before, but also that this would be used as an opportunity to see the gospel go further and faster than ever before. Um, So just to end, I just want to share just the short summary of a few things that I've learned, which is what it says in Second Timothy 4.2, to be ready in season or out of season to preach the word of God and to disciple people into the faith, because we never know what's going to happen, like an earthquake. So we don't want to wish that we'd shared or done more, and that it's not enough to just be Christian and hope that people will notice a difference in us. We can't just talk about the Christian activities we do. We need to tell people about Jesus and the good news of what he's done for us. I've also learned not to underestimate the power of God, that he's the same one that did all those miracles throughout the Bible. He's still alive and active today. And so I'm keeping a personal journal of all the biblical miracles I've seen. It's pretty exciting. I'm still waiting to see someone raised from the dead. That's still on the list. (laughs) Um, Hey, it's happened. So I'm like, I'll I'll pray for it. And um, finally, just that God moves mightily in the midst of our weakness if we're willing to be available and make the most of each opportunity. As some of you know, I deal with a lot of chronic pain, and so there's been so many times that I just want to retreat into a dark room and not talk to anyone. But instead, I go talk with girls or visit our neighbors or care for a stranger, and those have been some of the most fruitful moments in ministry. So it's a fun seeing God take my, my simple yes and determination to press through pain, and he did something great for his glory. So, yeah. <clears throat>
1: Amen. Just a small example of what happens when we take the wisdom of God and embody by His Spirit and His Word and let Him have His way. All of us have that same potential in our sphere of influence. Amen? Amen. But Lindsay has been given a unique call in that she's been called to go outside this country and minister to people that don't live... A around our neighborhoods, and all of us have different neighborhoods that we minister in. So I'd like to, I wanted to get you to get to know her a little bit, because I think there's a future for us to partner with her in Nepal. And uh, But for the moment, what I'd like to do is ask if you can give a, a one-time gift to send her back with. We originally thought we would uh, take an offering for the food supplies and those kind of things after the earthquake, but I thought, you know, the food's going to be eaten and gone. <laughs> Lindsay's going to be there for a long time. Let's try to keep her there financially. So, um, Dick, maybe you can stick a basket on the uh, the back of the sound booth there. And if you have uh, just a one-time check, write it to RCC, put Lindsay's name on the byline, and we'll make sure she gets gets that directly. But let's do this. Can we reach out our hands and just pray for her healing? Pray for that miracle and pray for God's blessing. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this young woman, Lord God. And, and also thank you for Tony and for Cindy, for the investment they have made, Lord God, to shape and mold and to father this precious young Saint Lord into the woman she is today. But Father, as you see, as you know right now, the body you created is is broken down in some areas. So Father, as master physician would you reach in and heal every bone every nerve every muscle every sinew every organ lord that is inoperable or is not operating correctly lord master creator would you create again brand new healed well body parts in Lindsay, in jesus mighty name father do the miracle that she's been praying for all these times we stand with her stand with you lord god in agreement and we pray also lord a blessing on the work of her hands the work of her speech, Lord God, the work of her heart and her feet and everything she invests in as she goes back, Father. Multiply the fruit, Father. Change human hearts as a result by the power of your spirit, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. 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 God bless you. Thank you so much. It was awesome. So, I like the way you ended there. It's not just acting loving or acting Christian. It's speaking the words as well. Same thing I was saying to the dads, and it's really true for all of us. Relentlessly speak the truth in love, gentleness, tenderness, and patience. But say something. Amen? Amen. Well, this is a great way to end Father's Day. But before we, uh, before we dismiss, can I just ask you to keep in mind honoring your heavenly Father, figuring out what pleases Him, and then engaging the things he calls you to, it'll not only bring him great joy, but great satisfaction to your life as well. All right. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. See you next Sunday. Yes, God's word is so awesome. Thanks, Pastor Alex. I hope this message blesses you as it does me. We have an awesome time of worship during each of our services. We have infant and child care available as well as complete children's education programs. We host the wildfire youth programs Wednesday evenings. Be sure to visit our website at rccfoursquare.org. Here's a final word from Pastor Kevin. Do
0: you ever have thoughts about your purpose in life? If you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, or maybe you walked away and it's time to come home. You know, really our walk with God is about a personal relationship with Him. That's what He wants. I believe that's what we want. I encourage you to take a few moments and allow this message to sink in. Allow His Holy Spirit to speak to your heart. You know, the Bible says that if we draw close to Him, that He will draw close to us. So do that today. God bless.